The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long Your life will pass by as a vapor And you will stand before the judgment seat of God And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment That's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of His name. He has power over life and death. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. Heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father will you bow. He can save you from the might of all your sin This is the fight in which He stands In perfect victory While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come From the coming storm While you have breath You 
you have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He is the only shelter From the coming storm Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. God does not leave anything to chance. He does not dwell in time. He is outside of time. He created time. So Jesus enters into time to deal with specific needs to direct with absolute precision the life of every person he chooses to direct. Many he will not direct because they do not belong to him. They have chosen the way of darkness. Now he'll continue calling after them, He may even intervene in some very specific ways that he knows will turn their hearts to the light. What I'm trying to say to you, and I want to show you today in Scripture, is that everything in the life of a Christian happens because of the direct move and initiation of God. If it's going to be, it's up to Jesus. Now, he has time on his side. He sees the past and he sees the future. We only see now. I'll not ever go back and live in my past, and I will never live in the future. I live here, in the present, now. So what matters is the decision I make now regarding my eternal salvation and regarding the work of Jesus. There's a passage of scripture I'd like to share with you just very quickly. Let me turn to it. It's in the book of of Matthew. No. Oh, here it is. In the book of Matthew... 
we're given an insight by Jesus. It's in Matthew 15, verse 13. Every plant which my heavenly Father planted not will be pulled out by the roots. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, the only thing that will last is what my father does and what he does, not what you do, not the projects you work on, not the church you start, not the pile of money that you create. The only thing that will last is what is planted by the Father. Now, I want to go to several very quick stories to describe how this happens. But please, hear where I'm going and what I'm going to show you today in the Word. And we'll end up in the Gospel of John because John unveils this in a magnificent way. What is going to happen in your life for the kingdom of God must be initiated by God, not by you. So I wake up in the morning and I say, you know what? This radio broadcast needs to go national. I know I have the ability to go talk with people, to raise the money, to make it happen. If I do that, I just planted my own plant. Instead, I wait upon the Lord, I pray, and I wait for his very specific directions regarding what he wants done for the building of his kingdom. Now, he may direct me to go speak with very specific people and outline the vision of reaching America with the gospel of holiness, of salvation. Okay? then I'll do that. But I have learned the hard way, and I can't begin to express the sorrow and the anguish that have been created in my soul by my choosing to go and do what I think needs to be done, to reach out my hand and grab for myself. It has been utter destruction in my life. And God has severely disciplined me for doing that. I have paid a horrendous price in time, in energy, in money, in emotion for reaching out and doing what I think I want to do. On the other hand, as I have simply done what Jesus has asked me to do, like do this radio broadcast, do the YouTube, 
these things were directly given to me as instruction by the Spirit. And so I do them, and I keep doing them. I'm not on and off. I'm here. Time after time, I come and do what God has told me to do. Well, do you get tired? Yes. Do you have to rest? Yes. And then what do you do? Do you quit? No. I keep going. I've learned a basic principle of God, and that is that you continue doing what you're doing until you receive new instructions that tell you to go another direction. And you don't change what you're doing until the Lord speaks to you and tells you, okay, it's time to stop. It's time to start this now. Okay? I'm on my way. In other words, I'm saying to you, I am under the direct instruction of God regarding this little life that he's given me. He hasn't given me a big life. I've just lived in the present, day after day, year after year, and in the process, been disciplined into learning only to do what he instructs me to do and nothing else. Let's look at a couple of stories. Moses, the book of Exodus, tries to step out on his own, trying to convince his people, the Israelites, that they should join him in rebellion against Egypt. And the result is he murders a man and then he has to run for his life. The only safe place for Moses is in the desert, herding sheep. He's been educated in the finest schools in the world. He's been trained in military techniques by the finest army in the world. He is a warrior. And God sends him to the desert. I don't know of anyone in the scripture truly used by God who did not have some time in the wilderness. So Moses is now living in the home of a high priest not of the Lord, but of paganism. He He's married to one of the daughters, and he spends his days with a little herd of sheep. He doesn't have his own herd, It's his father-in-law's sheep. He has nothing to show for his life. And for 40 years, he's out there on the far side of the desert, taking care of the sheep. I can tell you now, 
that we would become extremely discouraged and finally have to make peace with being on the far side of the desert and accomplishing nothing in our lives. And everything that is American would say, come on, bail out of that desert, go find somewhere where you can have authority and power and make money. Every plant planted by the human heart will be pulled up in the last day and cast into the fire. We find that God is involved during the long period. This is Exodus two twenty three. The king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groanings, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now, God plans long-term. He doesn't, he's not a short-term planner. He plans long-term. And many years earlier, he had a man placed in the desert herding sheep, learning how to be humble, learning how to just day after day get up and do his job. I suspect that there are some of you listening today who have been out in the desert for a long time doing your job, not liking your job, but doing it because that's what you chose or that's what God chose for you. And he hasn't given you instructions. He hasn't told you to quit your job. He hasn't told you, go to this place or go to that place. Instead, he's silent. When God is silent, and I, again, have to say to you that God's silence has been the most excruciating pain of my heart. In the silence, we wait before God. And we do what he's given us to do. And a man who will throw that over and say, this isn't working, I'm on my way, I have more talent than this, I'm going to create something. Okay, go. And in the end, you'll lie down in darkness and you'll be miserable and you will have failed. I think of the story of Henry Ford. Extremely successful. But the one thing he wanted out of his whole life was to die with the lights on. And so, knowing Edison, he builds a generator, a big generator house. He lights up his mansion. And guess what? The night Henry Ford dies, there's a tremendous storm. And his generator house is flooded out. And he dies in darkness. Man can do everything he wants to do, but in the end he will die and it will be dark. 
So here's God saying, I'm concerned about the children of Israel. And I'm sure he looked at his calendar and said, it's time for me to activate my servant Moses. You may have been in the desert a long time, but you're going to have to wait. If you want to be in the will of God, you're going to have to wait until he activates you and tells you what he wants you to do and gives you the power to do it and gives you the money to do it. There's nothing left to chance with God. He knows about you. He knows the times you've rebelled and reached out your hand as I have to take for myself what I thought I needed and wanted in my personal life. And his judgment came. And destruction followed. And as I repented, he forgave me. And said, now wait on me. Wait on me. Wait upon the Lord, Ray. Okay? I've learned that lesson. I've tried to get around it. I'm being honest with you. I have tried to get around the command of God. I'm as good a preacher as so-and-so. Why can't I go and do the same thing he's doing? Because I told you to wait in the desert for me. See, the problem is we have our own agendas. We have what we think we should be doing. We have what we think we should have. We think this is how I should be treated. This is not fair. This is not right. Why am I having to wait so long? A man said to me yesterday, I really got angry with God on Sunday because I've waited so long for a wife and he's not brought me my wife. And you think, Pastor, I'm supposed to wait on God. Yes. Yes. Because God is trying to make sure that you're the right man that he can trust with this precious daughter he wants to bring to you. Because he wants to use you in the work of the kingdom. And until you've learned these lessons of waiting and being patient and not reaching out and grabbing what you want for yourself, Isaiah 50. Not reaching out and grabbing what you want for yourself, but waiting upon the Lord. Until you've learned that lesson, you're of no value to God. And he will pass you by. And people say to me, God doesn't talk to me, Pastor. He talks to you. Why doesn't he talk to me? Because you're too far away from him. To hear him when he speaks, he speaks in a still small voice, normally, usually. But if your heart is filled with entertainment and media, if your heart is filled with the lust for money, if your heart is filled with the desire to be somebody, to accomplish something great, You won't hear God speak, and he'll let you go on by. And in the end, you'll go to hell. Now, in chapter 3 of Exodus, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
Now, he didn't expect anything to happen at Horeb. He's been there before, and nothing happened. God wasn't ready yet. And please, Moses wasn't ready yet, and the children of Israel weren't ready yet. But now the children of Israel are miserable and desperate, and they're crying out. And now Moses takes his pitiful few sheep and goes to the far side of the desert, to the Mount of Horeb. And there the angel of the Lord, literally the pre-incarnate Christ, appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? And when he and when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Nothing of lasting value will happen in your life until you are directed by the voice of God. And when you are directed by the voice of God and you have prepared your heart to hear him, you will say, here I am. God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hides his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up to the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 10. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses answers, Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Now please hear what I'm saying to you. We're not all Moses. We don't all have some great assignment waiting for us, but we all have who are Christians, an assignment from God. And your assignment right now may be just wait on the far side of the desert and in that place honor and worship and serve the Lord Jesus with all of your heart, preparing yourself in the silence to hear the voice of God. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. Know my voice. God speaks to us through the scriptures. He speaks to us through deep conviction. 
And sometimes those wonderful times, he will even speak audibly to us. And he'll give us very specific direction. Moses has lots of objections. He even makes God mad. I want that to settle into your heart. Moses said in verse chapter 4, verse 13 of Exodus, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. And the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Please understand what I'm saying. God is real. Jesus is real. He has a plan for the redemption of this earth. He has put it into play through Jesus dying on Calvary. And now he is calling men and women, to become the temple of God, for God to come and dwell in us and to use us for the work of the kingdom. He knows who you are. He knows where you're at. What has not been fully resolved is whether you will pay the price of emptying your life on the altar of burnt offering, Romans, the 12th chapter. What has not yet been clearly made evident is will you wait upon the Lord and be patient and trust him? Or will you begin to take actions that will destroy you and your family, taking risks not crying out to the Lord. I can tell you right now, if the Lord does not come and speak to me, directing revival in Washington, I will die waiting upon the Lord. And I want to tell you, it is a great pleasure to wait upon Jesus. It is an honor, not an onious duty. It is a great honor to wait upon the Lord. Now, please understand, you can pray in such a manner with a selfish heart, with a demanding spirit, with accusations against the Most High, and you will make God very angry with you, and you will make God disgusted with you. You will wear him out with your words, and he will tune you out. God is real. He is the creator God who made us. We have feelings. We have thoughts. We have plans. God knows all about that. He too has feelings and thoughts and plans. He is real. So you can get down and pray your 
religious little prayer and act like God is not real. You can have prayer like a yoga exercise. You can accuse God and threaten God. As I said to one young man, would you please stop fighting with God? Your arms are not long enough to box with him. You will lose, and badly. So take responsibility for your life and determine that you will no longer accuse God. What you have going on in your life almost totally is dependent upon how you have responded or rejected Jesus Christ. That's true for pagan. That's true for the Christian. Moses pleads that God would send someone else. But he refuses and says, you go. Aaron is already on his way, your brother. He'll meet you. So Moses went and started the great adventure of his life at the age of 80. I'm not yet 80. I'll wait on God. But when my 80th birthday comes and nothing has happened and he has not spoken and he has not directed my steps and I have waited patiently upon him, when I'm 80, I'll wave my hand in the air and say, Lord, do you see me? I'm still waiting for you. Please don't forget your servant, Ray. Are you willing to wait on God? Are you willing to lay aside your impatience and your bitterness and your anger? Are you willing to wait upon God? And stop creating your own plans. Stop reaching out and grabbing what you think you want. Then in chapter 1 of of 1 Samuel, there's a, a woman by the name of Hannah. Peneah, the second wife of Elkanah. She is barren. Why is Hannah barren? Well, the scriptures tell us in verse 5 of chapter 1 that the Lord had closed her womb. Now, there was a a couple who wanted very much to have a baby. So I met with them and I prayed for them now over a year ago. I told them exactly what to do. They grew impatient and cast aside what I had given them. And they still don't have a baby. And guess what? God is probably not going to give them a baby until they humble their hearts and fully surrender to Jesus. They were very interested in doing what I instructed in prayer, but they were not so interested in laying their life down on the altar because they had other concerns that were consuming them 
I love this, this couple. But I see that they are unwilling to wait upon the Lord. They are going to go their own way and they are going to have what they want. No, they're not. No, they're not. God's hand is on their lives, and they will not escape the hand of God. I've asked the Lord not to let them escape. She's, she's with, Hannah's without a baby. Oh, Penea, she has child after child. Why? Because the Lord has a plan and a need that that Panea cannot meet. Because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whether Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Year after year, God did not speak to Hannah. He just closed up her womb. It would have happened much more quickly had she just gone to the Lord and absolutely surrendered and said, Lord, whatever you want. If you want a baby, I'll give you the baby. Now notice, they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, and they were almost ready to go back home. Hannah stood up. Eli was at the tent of meeting, sitting on a chair by the doorpost. And in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Oh, finally, Hannah understands what God wants. He wants from Hannah a son for his own work of redemption for Israel. See, we tend to think everything is about me. Everything is about what I want. Everything is about my circumstances. I'm so badly treated. I'm this. I'm no, no, no. God is working out his plan for eternity. And you have a place in it if you will learn to wait upon him. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. 
I'm pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked him. And she said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. She went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. She had the word of God spoken to her by the priest. Early in the next morning, they head for home. Elkanah lays with his wife, and the Lord remembers her. And Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, heard of God, because I asked the Lord for him. She brought this young man as a young boy, just weaned, may have been four, maybe even five years old. I don't know how old. They did not wean their children in that day so quickly as they do today. After the birth of the child and after she has taken him and given him to the Lord for all the days of his life, she prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. That is, my strength is lifted high. It's in the Lord, not in yourself, not in your own desires, not in your own plans. It is in the Lord that your strength is lifted up. There's no one holy like the Lord. There's no one beside you. There's no rock like our God. Verse 6, the Lord brings death and makes alive. The Lord brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes. He has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. And Samuel now ministers before the Lord. Are you hearing what I'm trying to say to you? I'm not preaching some conceptual sermon to you. I'm telling you, repent of your impatience. Repent of your anger. Repent of your fear. Repent of your discouragement and depression. And utterly cast your life into the hands of Jesus Christ. He is the only place you will find healing. He is the only place where you will find his plans for you. Cast yourself upon the Lord. Give up your own plans. Give up your own desires. 
fit into God's plan. And you will be blessed. There's a story in the ninth chapter of the book of John. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Wait a minute. This man has been born blind. He's lived as a blind man for 40 years. And this was God's plan for his life. That's what it says. He was born blind so that Jesus would come at the appointed time and heal this man. This man was born before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And it was God's plan. God wanted this man to walk as a blind man, to sit as a beggar, to have everyone see him and know him, and then for Jesus to totally heal and restore this man and bring him to himself. What about his job opportunities? What about his wife and children, which he has none? He's missed out on much of his life. Is that fair? Well, God's sense of what is fair and what is unfair is very different than yours and mine. God looks at the eternity and the plan of redemption for all of mankind. Is it okay that he used this man, a blind man, for 40 years? Is it okay that he set that up? in order to display the glory of his son. Yes, it is okay, because God is God. I had to deal with this when my my late wife was dying of cancer. And I have to tell you that after she died, my heart was so broken that I basically really stopped praying personal prayers for quite some time. Where was God while my wife was dying? All he would say to me was, you're too big for me to heal her. Broke my heart. He wants to make us small. He wants us to fit into his plan. I trust that his very best interest is for good in my life. And I now know the good that came out of the death of my first wife in the way it changed me and gave me an absolutely new understanding of who God is and how he operates and what he wants in my life. And first and foremost is that I would stop reaching out for what I wanted, but I would instead reach out 
to Jesus. That I would love him and trust him. Now we have one more story very briefly. Jesus heads back on assignment from the Lord, God of heaven. He heads back to Judea. Now he could follow the path that would take him around Samaria, but he does not. And so he is walking with his disciples from Judea, from Jerusalem, back to Galilee. And he goes through Samaria. Samaria is the place of the Samaritans, the unclean ones. Jews do not deal with them. There's great bitterness and hatred between them. So he comes to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That is, it was about noontime. It was the middle of the day, the heat of the day. And a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. Now, they would not normally come at that hour because it was the heat of the day. They would come in the early morning or in the evening when it's cool. But she is not accepted among the other women. And Jesus speaks kindly to her and says, Will you give me a drink? His disciples weren't there. They'd gone into Samaria to buy food for them all. The Samaritan woman says to him, You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. Jesus knew that he would meet that Samaritan woman that day. That's why he went on the road he went. And that's why he was sitting at that well at noon and his disciples sent away to buy food so that they would not in any fashion interfere with what he knew he had to do to further the work of the kingdom of God. And he speaks to the woman. He knew exactly what to say and how to say it. And she's saying, please, 
please give me this water that I won't have to come here anymore. I won't have to be embarrassed anymore. Please give me this water so that I'll no longer be ashamed living a life of wickedness, fornication. Jesus comes for his people. He reaches down to the bottom of the barrel and he calls those who are his own. Now he extends that invitation to everyone for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth that is also whoever obeys. Who will stop walking in the flesh and transition and begin to walk in the spirit. Who will give up all accusations, all bitterness of heart. Who will listen and who will wait upon the living God of heaven. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. I invite you to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and there you'll find our mailing address, and you'll also find a place you can give online. Tomorrow, we'll pick up this story of the Samaritan woman and waiting upon God. God bless you. I hope this has been helpful. I love you. We'll talk soon. Blameless before the presence of his glory.